You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. With me today as co-host is Michelle Jewell Shaw. Thanks so much for joining me again today at the legendary Bluefish Boulevard Recording Studios in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, Michelle. Thank you, Jeremy, for having me today. I love the studio here. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode of Lighthearted is a little different. We're going to listen to an interview I recorded back in February with the owner of a lighthouse in Casco Bay in Maine. The interview will actually fill up pretty much the entire program. Michelle, please help tell our listeners about our guest. Sure, Jeremy. Ford Reiki has been an attorney and an entrepreneur, and his background includes founding Safe Handling, a firm that reduced the cost of moving certain goods by eliminating their water so they could be shipped in a dry state to their point of use. In 2008, he was named the Maine Small Business Person of the Year and the Maine Biz Business Leader of the Year. He is also a trustee of Maine Preservation. Ford's passion for Maine and its history stems from his family's many generations in the state. He has acquired and restored several buildings on the National Register of Historic Places, including his most recent project, a railroad station in Yarmouth. What we're going to hear about today is his amazing restoration of Halfway Rock Lighthouse, far out in Casco Bay, 10 miles from Portland. Halfway Rock Lighthouse is a granite tower that was built on a barren ledge in 1871. It gets its name because it's halfway between Cape Elizabeth to the south and Cape Small to the north. Ford Reiki bought the lighthouse at auction from the federal government in 2014 for $283,000. The Maine Preservation Association recognized the project with its 2016 Preservation Award. In the American Lighthouse Foundation presented Ford Reiki a 2017 Keeper of the Light Award honoring his contribution to the preservation of America's lighthouses in their rich tradition. I had a chance to sit down with Ford Reiki at the Cushing's Point Museum in South Portland, Maine, back in February. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm here at the Cushing's Point Museum in South Portland, Maine, with Ford Reiki. Thanks for being with me today, Ford. My pleasure. So, Ford, what made you decide to buy a lighthouse, especially one as remote as Halfway Rock? Uh, you've asked me the hardest question. <laughs> um, the I, I was well acquainted with Halfway Rock. I'd spent my life on Casco Bay, and it was just one of those things that I knew was uh, in decline and with no no clear path uh, forward for its restoration or long-term survival. So uh, I knew in advance that it was going to be auctioned off, so I just got, got in that queue and got into the process. And then there was the long, as you know, uh, there was a long, a long bidding process with the federal government program. Obviously, by the time you actually got it, you had some idea what you were getting into because you had some, uh, you had a chance to look over the property before you actually bought it. But when you uh, got the chance to look more closely at it, was it was it in worse shape or better shape than you originally thought? I think it was in probably about what I expected. Mm-hmm. The uh, the masonry 
problems. The cracks in the granite were a huge unknown to me. I didn't know whether it affected the structure, uh, structural integrity of the tower, and how hard it would be to, to fix. So that uh, that was one of the last things we tackled. But the rest of it was just loads of cleanup, demo, painting, scraping, and then, of course, the furnishing and so forth that went into it, and, and the dock replacement. So I kind of I, I understood what all those things were. I'd done that type of work before. Uh, what have been some of the biggest challenges uh, with the restoration? Uh, the biggest challenge is just uh, the fact that it's uh, on a nearly inaccessible rock ten miles out to sea. When I when I was when I first uh, won the bid and it became clear that I was going to become the owner, I got a con- I got contacted by the Coast Guard. I think someone out of Boston who said uh, certainly you aren't going out there by boat uh, <laughs> because we only go by helicopter. Right. And I'd been going by boat many times by at that point and continue to do so. But it is, it, it's a huge challenge getting out there. There was no dock in the beginning either. So we've uh, destroyed, uh, we're on our seventh boat now, the little boat that's, that goes from the mooring into the rock. And uh, that's a huge challenge. And then if you're out there, you have to plan very, very thoroughly. If you're out there and you need need a tool or some supplies, it's a, you know half a day to get ashore and get something and come back out. So that was one challenge. Another was uh, we had to we had to put up uh, scaffolding uh, in order to uh, repair the masonry. At the same time, I thought, well, we might as well use the scaffolding for the painting on the top two stories. So the lighthouse, Halfway Rock, is a seven-story tower with a two-story boathouse attached to it. And of the seven stories in the tower, the first five stories are huge granite blocks. At the base, they're, they're five feet thick. Uh, and then the top two stories are iron, cast iron, made here in Portland, and those needed a lot of weatherproofing and then paint. So the scaffold scaffolding uh, made that job easier as well. But uh, it was a, a very expensive to get the scaffolding arranged to go out there, and then the scaffolding count, company miscounted uh, the number of pieces they needed. So we took twenty eight thousand pounds out. By barge, which it took 20 people to accomplish that feat. Then the scaffolding company erected the, erected what we'd taken out there, and they only got two-thirds of the way up the tower. So we had to do the whole process again, uh, and with weather delays and so forth, it was, a, it was a real mess. So that's a lot. Of, we ended up with 50,000 pounds of scaffolding out there, erected. <laughs> um, I was paying by the day, so we got the work done as quickly as we could. That was that was a type of, you know, kind of symbolic of uh, the complexity of many of the things we did out there. Uh, you talked about the all the boats you've gone through, and I think one of the most fun parts of uh, what you've done with the interior in the uh, the the living quarters, the former uh, boathouse there, is uh, you've uh, kind of immortalized some of those those boats you've used and made them into uh, beds. Right. So the way we get the um, we get out the ten miles from where I live in South Freeport out to the rock. The rock is. Uh, Accomplished in an old Coast Guard boat I got from that is is not that old. It was built in nineteen sorry two thousand and six, uh, and it is my version of a floating dump truck. We take equipment out and gear, and uh, we can absolutely abuse this boat, which is necessary, which, which is part and parcel going to Halfway Rock. But when we get out to the mooring, it's about a hundred yards uh, or less from the mooring into the breakers uh, that are continuous at halfway rock so it's a little boat that we use at that stage so yeah we've 
We have uh, snapped two engines off the backs of boats, uh, sunk boats. I thought Boston whalers were indestructible. Hmm. Uh, we nearly flipped in that, filled it with water, and then punctured it with oh, so many holes that it soaked up water like a sponge. So the Boston whaler uh, became uh, one of the double bunks. Uh, we scribed it to the ins- to the curved uh, interior of the tower and hung that up about five feet in the air. Then underneath it, we have another bunk, which is a used to be a fourteen foot aluminum boat uh, that had uh, that uh, we'd punched we'd punched holes in. Uh, so yeah, we've, we've we used some of the boats. You know, I, I have some real sense of how difficult it is to land there so much of the time because a couple of years before you bought the lighthouse. I went on an inspection visit uh, with uh, GSA people, and it was in a Coast Guard boat. This uh, was in, I think, 2013, maybe? Does that sound about right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, we had to circle. It was pretty rough that day. Not super rough, but rough enough so we had to circle uh, probably two or three times. The Coast Guard's trying to figure out where to, where to pull the boat in uh, between the rocks. And when we finally got off, it was still the boat was rocking uh, one of the women in the group, uh, I believe, broke her thumb uh, just, uh, you know, uh, getting off the boat onto the rocks. And it, it was, it's, oh, yeah. it's difficult, even in, in, in calm, calm Indeed weather. Indeed it is. And even yeah. in calm weather, mm-hmm. we, the whole, all of Casco Bay and, and the open, open sea outside can be flat calm. And you can have breaking waves at halfway rock. And when mm-hmm. they break, they break from every angle because it's basically the tip of a mountain. Yeah. Uh, so you, you drive, right. you're pulling up all these, this deep water mm-hmm. agitation. One of the first things you did was to repair the, the old uh, landing ramp, basically. Right. right. Uh, which enabled everything else. As you know, I've got, uh, I've got an extensive uh, collection of government documents, all the, nearly all of the uh, logs and records from when it was being built. And, you know, so I can, uh, I can tell from the uh, historical materials I have that a lot of docks have washed away out there. Mm-hmm. I actually, after I realized how extensive my resources were specific to Halfway Rock with all the, you know, these logs, 105 years of logs, uh, and sometimes log entries were made as frequently as every hour. So uh, I could, I went back onto the internet to determine when Maine had big storms, and then I would go from those dates back into my logs, and I could, I could really focus in on responses to storms and. I bet that dock has washed away a dozen times, 10 or a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've, uh, during the course of uh, restoration, you've had uh, some happy surprises. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you'd like to, to comment on that. Yeah, I've had endless happy surprises, yeah. but I, um, a couple that are worth relating are things we found out there. It is, I think this is a, a habit my, that my family has, my dad and my sons and I always, if we're working on an old building, we'll leave our name and the date. They are somewhere hidden, so it's not anyone's face, but just for future workers. And someone did that for us. Uh, Arthur Strout, who was a a member of a real prominent lighthouse family here in Maine, and um, William Clark were the two lighthouse keepers at the end of 1938, which was right before the uh, whole lighthouse service was being turned over to the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, and on Christmas Eve, they around that time they were rebuilding a wall in the boathouse where the boathouse connects to the to the stone tower, and uh, they built a doorway. And in the doorway, uh, we found because we, we had to take that take that uh, section apart. Uh, in the framing of the wall by the doorway, we found an empty whiskey bottle, which they had emptied. They they labeled it Christmas Eve, 
1938, and they signed it, Arthur Strout and William C. Clark. Uh, I don't know whether they were, uh, whether that was a routine of theirs, but it's the only bottle we found. And as I pointed out, it was right on the eve of the whole U.S. Lighthouse Service being disbanded. So also, uh, over the course of uh, the last few years since you've owned the Lighthouse, you've had the opportunity to meet some of the uh, former keepers of the Lighthouse. I have. Uh, keepers led me to documents and photos, and photos and documents led me to keepers. And all the while that I was preparing to own the Lighthouse, it took me 13 months to buy it. Uh, and then all the time that I was doing the restoration, which was pretty much summer only, other times I was uh, collecting documents photos, uh, newspaper articles, anything to do with Halfway Rock, and of course, personal connections with uh, the Lighthouse. And uh, it was, uh, there was one fellow from New Hampshire uh, who uh, had been, uh, had a couple stories published about him for his period at Halfway Rock in 1960, 61. Mm -hmm. uh, I know him well. Yes, you do. Uh, and, uh, but he told me about another, and then that, you know, through different documents and so forth, I, I came up with a list of names, people who'd been there in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and, you know, none of them are young. Many of them are gone, and some have gone since I did the, even did the work a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've met uh, six or seven people who actually lived at Halfway Rock, and they were all young men at the time. You know, the Coast Guard, this was not um, when lighthouse keepers in the, in the period of the lighthouse service prior to 39 I think they were more career professionals. Uh, and in the Coast Guard era, it was more young men on their way to some other assignment that was that was less painful than being isolated from women and so forth at Halfway Rock. So these were all, all the people I've met were at Halfway Rock when they were young. Didn't fully appreciate the significance of what they were doing until later in life, but all very, very proud of it later in life. Mm -hmm. And they tended to not even uh, take photos. Only Only a couple of them. Uh, took photos which they've shared with me, and they're in my book. I, by the way, I wrote a book about it. Right. I was going to get to that, but since you mention it, yeah, it's a beautifully uh, researched, extensively researched book, and I recommend it to anybody who's interested in halfway rock light or interested in you know offshore wave swept lighthouses in general. Uh, how can people find that book? Uh, it's a, it's available at uh, halfwayrock.com or on Amazon, but it's uh, my name, Ford Reiki, and Halfway Rock Lighthouse. And also, I want to mention that there you've uh, certainly been the subject of a number of articles and also TV programs. Uh, and there was a, an hour-long documentary done, I think, originally for the DIY Network, and I believe it's now also been on the Discovery Channel. Yeah, it's on the Discovery Channel now. Yeah. And uh, I think people can also find it uh, through iTunes. Is that correct? iTunes, and I think that's probably on Amazon as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's on there. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting process, and and, and uh, I resisted it greatly. Uh, <laughs> I uh, wasn't, I was not interested in getting a lot of publicity for this project. I I, I was confident that uh, it was a worthwhile project, and I was confident that I was going to complete it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, the first question out of anyone's mouth is, what are you doing this for? You know, you, you, you need something to do with your time and money that's more worthwhile. But so I just got sick. I didn't want to be, be defending the project. So I kept it low key. But once, once, uh, I was well advanced and I could, the, the, the end was theoretically in sight, I did allow, um, some magazines and newspapers to do a story about it. And it got onto the internet. And once it did, I got contacted by a movie studio, yeah. reality TV shows and all this. 
and so forth. And I didn't want to do any, I didn't want any part of any of that scripted stuff. But uh, this uh, production company from Colorado that was that did this show that's now on DIY and the Discovery Channel uh, convinced me that they would um, that they would not be scripted about it and that the the history was something that they would figure prominently and of course they you 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 were on that show as well and it was very important to me that they have that they have you and and others who uh, could put this in the mm-hmm. greater context of lighthouses in general but i want to also want to add the the value in it to me was well they paid me a decent amount of money i kept saying i said no so many times sincerely meaning no they kept coming back with more money till the point that my wife said you know you wouldn't wouldn't hurt for someone else to help pay for what's going on out there. So that was an incentive. And I didn't realize that the rigor of their filming schedule would become uh, a lot of the discipline that went into our construction. So what happened is we spent a winter, I had spent two summers kind of picking away at this. I mean, not single-handedly. I always had a work crew. But uh, we were doing demo and we were getting the clearance from the uh, Department of Interior and the Maine Historic Preservation Commission to do the restoration a certain way, which I'd be happy to speak about in a minute. Uh, and we were uh, going through all that. But the third summer, uh, as we were approaching it, I had committed to this studio to do to let them monitor what we're doing. And so they were bringing in people from all over the country. When they were having a shoot, they'd bring in people who were freelancers, Financial Geographic or what have you. People would come in from all over the place, sometimes five or six or more of them. And so they needed to schedule all this. I had to have production results on the restoration to coincide with their filming dates. And I didn't mind a bit, but it just, you know, it's nice to have a target. So that summer, we just cranked crank through the through the restoration and as as uh, you know uh from the part the, the segment you filmed with them uh by the end of august it was done and it was furnished and uh ta-da yeah so it became sort of a synergy between you and them to yeah. kind of uh, speed things up move everything along i'll tell you it was a, a rare uh privilege uh quite an experience being part of that to fly out there by helicopter was a thrill yeah it to was land fun. on the rocks by helicopter uh, and the day I was out there was the day of the uh, the solar eclipse, which was fun. One of the uh, the crew that was out there that day had uh, the uh, eclipse glasses that we passed around to watch. Right. Watch we were eclipse. lucky we had him because BBC had called him a couple days before. They wanted to fly him to Florida or wherever the, wherever the, the, the uh, most significant uh, version of that eclipse was going right, to show. And right. he, he was committed to us. Yeah, uh, where we were, I think it was something like 60%. Right, yeah, and that afternoon, I remember that. Still pretty good. Yeah, and then after that, so they, the production company flew flew you out to uh, kind of double-check the historical, historical accuracy of our restoration and our furnishings, and this is kind of at the unveiling. Uh, they, then they also flew out my dad, who'd been around half right. rock his whole life, but never ashore at age 89. They flew him out with um, with Ken Rulo, this... Uh, Former keeper. former keeper who'd been who'd not been there in 57 years that was just a, a great segment with ken rulo and since then i've done a couple of uh, lectures in new hampshire ken rulo is from nashua new hampshire and he's come to a couple of my lectures and i've shown brief clips from that show and people just love that so much. That's and great. He's kind of basked in it. He oh yeah, he loves it. it. That's yeah. great. He's he's kind of quiet, but he he does he does love it, and uh, people love uh, you know seeing that, and getting to to meet him, an actual lighthouse keeper. So yeah. it's great that he's gotten that attention. 
Let me ask you uh, now, under the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act, the federal government, of course, has offered some remote lighthouses to nonprofits, community organizations, and so forth at no charge. But uh, for the most part, uh, a lot of those uh, organizations, uh, those entities have been reluctant to take those lighthouses because of the the difficulties, the high costs, and so forth that you're very familiar with them because many of them are, uh, because they're so remote and many of them are in rough condition. Because of that, many of them have been auctioned, including Halfway Rock. The sale of uh, lighthouses like Halfway Rock, some of the remote uh, offshore lighthouses, to individuals like yourself, and there's been uh, quite a few that have been auctioned like that, uh, many of them have led to happy success stories like yours. I consider yours one of the happiest success stories of this this type. They've worked out really well in many cases, but uh, in some cases they haven't worked out well at all. And I, I just uh, was wondering if you would like to comment on on this process uh, overall. Do you yeah. have an, do you have an opinion on this? Do you think there's? It's a little late to talk about this. It's, there's not there aren't many left that haven't been spoken for. Uh, but do you think there there would have been any alternative? Uh, just any comments on the process? Yeah, and my my comments are generally positive. Uh, the the U.S. Lighthouse. Preservation Act, I think, is unique. I, I don't know of any other federal assets that need to go through this this um, level of screening before they'll agree to sell to somebody. I think it. I think it's unique. Do you know otherwise? Compared to other countries, no. Compared to selling Air Force bases or Apache helicopters or all the other stuff the government sells, I don't think. They I have, don't know. I think you're right. I yeah. don't know of any other class of property that goes through any, right. any anything like that, this process. Right. So I think that's a nice filter. And the reason that filter <clears throat> exists is because of past abuses. Lots of times abuse, particularly in historic preservation, abuses will bring about changes that bring you eventual improvement. Um, lighthouse structures were being turned over, I think, in the 70s or 60s, 70s, 80s. We're being turned over to local fire, volunteer fire departments, you know, to burn down the keeper's house for practice and so forth. And they just, they were not being, they, for starters, they were being neglected by the federal government, but then they were being disposed of ir- really irresponsibly um, in a manner that was most expedient for the federal government, but with no appreciation for the historic preservation. So the U.S. Lighthouse Preservation Act came about. I think it's a good thing. Federal government will not sell a lighthouse to anyone who hasn't seen it, so you understand the commitment that you're taking. Um, then they're quite, um, they're undertaking rather, and then they're pretty, it's a pretty competitive process. When they were selling Halfway Rock, as an example, they advert, there was there were TV segments that the government put on to draw, draw in uh, active and uh, um, qualified bidders. Uh, it was in the Portland paper, it was in the Boston paper. So, you know, they, they try very hard to bring in, in a pool and still, it's not everybody who wants to own a lighthouse. Um, and also, another aspect of the uh, preservation, Lighthouse Preservation Act, is that they offer it first to qualified nonprofits for free on a competitive basis. Again, right. that's I think that's those things all are good functioning efforts to get these things in the right hands. It still doesn't get you there. You know, in the case of Halfway Rock, I mean, it doesn't always get you there. Halfway Rock worked out well, but they offered it. I missed this part of the phase, this part of the process and wish I hadn't uh, missed it. Um, six nonprofits stepped forward and initially said, yeah, we're interested in Halfway Rock. But then they went out and looked at it and, you know, you weigh the 
the commitment that you have when it's your responsibility and the very few people that would benefit from visiting it because it's so far out. So all six nonprofits walked away. I happened to have a nonprofit foundation that I act, that I used in the restoration of Halfway Rock. So I could have had Halfway Rock for free, certainly, if I'd, been, if I'd known about that process. Right. I uh, just missed it. <laughs> um, that's showbiz. But I certainly am happy with the, uh, the value that I got out of it anyway. Well, that's good. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Um, answer the same question yourself because I know you have a much wider frame of reference than I. Um, there are certainly there are sad stories out there of people who have gotten their hands on lighthouses and haven't done anything with them. But how how do you feel the process functions uh, in its weakest moments? Yeah, there's there's never going to be there were there could never be a foolproof process. You know, nothing nothing is going to be perfect. I think it's been probably ninety percent positive. There have been there have been lighthouses that have been auctioned to people who ten years after buying their lighthouse uh, have, uh, as far as I know, have never actually seen seen it in person. This this has happened, but there have also been cases of nonprofits owning lighthouses that have haven't been able to do anything with them. You know, um, it's. It's tough. I mean, it's the it's the offshore lighthouses that are that are endangered. The lighthouses that are on on the mainland that are tourist attractions, we don't have to worry about. You know, the ones that people can get to easily. So, whether they're owned by nonprofits or owned by or have been bought at auction by individuals, it's the remote offshore lighthouses that are so difficult to access that are problematic. So. You know, I I know uh, a number of uh, people who've bought lighthouses at auction, like you, who have uh, just poured their heart and soul and many dollars into into it, and have done a fantastic job. And I think I would say that's the majority of the uh, the owners who mm-hmm. bought bought them through this process. There are well, other cases that are not not so positive. Yeah, but, that's right. Mm-hmm, yeah, I will share one. Mm-hmm. One thought uh, that might sound a little contradictory to, to the position I had a moment ago about this function, this um, overall system working well. I will point out that I've never been contacted to help with another lighthouse, and I'm not necess- not looking to do that. But you'd think that within the lighthouse community or the GSA, that when there's a lighthouse coming up that's imperiled and it needs someone to love it, You'd think that someone would reach out to, you know, because I've got a highly publicized yeah. success story with Half yeah. the Rock. Um, you'd, think, you'd think that they would call up the 10 or so people who have done this enthusiastically in the past and say, do you have any ideas on this or can you help us connect this with an appropriate owner? So. I agree with you. And I, I do know of another uh, owner uh, who has been contacted in similar cases. I, I just know of one case like that. So I'm... I'm actually a, a bit surprised to hear yeah. that you have not been. Um, but maybe we can talk a little bit about Yeah, about sure. That. <laughs> sure. I've been contacted by some, um, like the folks at Swans Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Burn Island Light. and yeah. uh, So just on some general uh, guidance on you know how you tackle this problem or that problem. Yeah. Uh, that's an isolation. But a lighthouse is an expensive darn project. You know, you know it, it's big money and things happen. You can't pick away at it because if you're going slowly, it'll deteriorate as fast as you're doing small projects. Yeah, in a sense, but I'm thinking from personal experience. I mean, for those of us in the nonprofit world, uh, it's just funding is so uh, getting the 
the funding to do it all at once is is virtually impossible yeah, in most cases. Yeah. Uh, on one hand, uh, in theory, I sort of agree with you, but uh, we just can't find a million dollars all at once. That's right, and, and you, I, I fully appreciate that. Luckily, some lighthouses are near high rent districts, and so I know some lighthouses have benefited from the. Yeah, the that doesn't necessarily translate into immediate yeah. funding. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I just. Well, anyway, <laughs> I don't know. the. I haven't found the, the key to, to all of that, I'm afraid, uh, so far. Um, anyway, um, let me ask you uh, a couple more questions. Uh, first of all, knowing what you know now, would you do it all over again? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was easy. Yeah. I can answer that more readily than why I did it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it, it Halfway Rock... Um, Halfway Rock was in trouble, and I don't think I fully appreciated how, what an important lighthouse it was or how important lighthouses are to us generally until I got on the backside of this. You know, for a long time in the process, it was one step in front of the other. I got to do this, got to get it done. And it was not unpleasant, but it was just a process where you're completely immersed in it. But, uh, yeah, I would, I've done it before. Never a project as demanding as Halfway Rock, but I would do it again. I'm doing a railroad station right now. Were lighthouses on your radar much before you uh, considered Halfway Rock? Had you thought, I want to restore a lighthouse someday? No, no, um, not at all. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I really, I was worried about the outcome of Halfway Rock. It's definitely nothing I sought out. Uh, didn't have any grand plans for what I'd do with it, although we do use it and uh, have a great deal of fun with it. But uh, uh, nope, it just had to be done. Now that you've gotten so deeply uh, involved with with the lighthouse and you've uh, immersed yourself in the the lighthouse preservation community, you've seen uh, how what a big community that is in this in this country. I think you've gotten a, a feeling for that. What is it about lighthouses? Why do you think people are so drawn to lighthouses? Everything about them is romantic. You know, if you're, if you're interested in history or you're interested in architecture, interested in construction, they had a, they, they played a crucial role in seagoing traffic at a point in time when it's all we had. So I think you more, the more I've learned about, and I'm, I'm a history buff like you, the more I've learned about lighthouses, the more I've come to appreciate them. And I, I think that uh, as time goes on, there's going to be a greater and greater appreciation for them now that they're not being used. Before we uh, finish up here, I just want to mention again, uh, what is the title of your book on Halfway Rock Light? Halfway Rock Light Station. Uh-huh. And that is available. Uh, what's the, the website people can find it on? Well, at halfwayrock.com, there are two reasons to go to halfwayrock.com. It's not a very elaborate website, but uh, you can order the book directly from us there um, or, or Amazon, as I said. But another reason to go to halfwayrock.com is I've got a webcam. Uh, we have live, have a webcam, which... Uh, well, the camera is functioning most of the time, uh, and uh, we beam Wi-Fi from there into the Dolphin Marina in Hopswell, uh, and so there's a live webcam out there. So when there's a good storm going, it's it's entertaining. And also, there are a couple hundred seals that uh, call the place home in the summer. So huh, cool. I keep the camera on that also. Cool. And uh, just mention the documentary one more time. That was originally done, I believe, for a series called Building Off the Grid. Right. And does the program have a particular title? I guess it's just... Main Lighthouse. Main Lighthouse on Building Off the Grid. And that's available on iTunes. I'm not sure if that's the only way people can get it online. You Google it. You can find anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Google it. Google it. Building Off the Grid, Main Lighthouse on Halfway Rock Lighthouse. It's a good program. 
And Ford uh, Reiki, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Always great to see you, Jeremy. That's all for this episode of Lighthearted. Thank you to the engineers and staff of the Bluefish Boulevard Recording Studio. And by that, I assume you must be referring to our cat, Evie, who's, uh, here she is, lying down in the next room here. Thanks also to the staff and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at Point No Point in Hansville, Washington, around the United States and around the world. Check out uslhs.org for information on tours, memberships, and everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society has to offer. And thanks again to today's guest, Ford Reiki, owner of Halfway Rock Lighthouse and author of the book Halfway Rock Light Station. Check out Ford and information about his book at halfwayrock.com. And of course, thanks to my co-host, Michelle Jewell Shaw. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine. Oh.